Hi, family. It's just us chickens today. Well, let's pray. Um, Father God, we love you. Thank you, Father, how you've made us so aware of your love and your presence today. We thank you, God, for uh, just your, the permanence of your love and how you're here and uh, you're always available. Lord, your word says that you're an ever-present help, uh, ever-present help in the time of trouble. But we don't ever need just for trouble. Lord, we thank you that you're ever-present. Let's just start there. We thank you, God, that uh, we can feel you as you breathe, God. Your, your word says it's in, it's in you that we live and move and have our, breathe, have our being. Thinking of breath for some reason. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you, God, that you're so good. Help us, Holy Spirit, to zero in on the heart of the Father today, Lord, that we can come away with a, a bigger understanding of, uh, of who you are and, and who we are. And we just depend upon you for your revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I brought a Bible. I, I borrowed one because this is really big. So I wanted everybody to see that. Um, um, there's a lot of papers, but there's big prints, so don't get worried, really worried. Am I too high or too low? Is that better? Can you hear me now? How's that? We good? Um, anyway, last time I spoke uh, was about a year ago, which also coincidentally was the first time I spoke anywhere. Um, and it was fun because I was chasing a lot of squirrels, but I felt like uh, we cheated ourselves out of um, really getting some, some points that I just kind of skipped over because I got distracted. So today I'm going to slow down. And for the benefit of us gaining some understanding about what God's put in my heart, um, I'm going to try to make sure I don't uh, get too off, off course. Um, for those of you that have, have joined us recently, the journey of this church has been, um, well, we, our family came here in about 2009. Um, but God began speaking within a couple of years of us being here. You can't hear me? Don't block it like this? Okay. All right. I'll try not to, I'll try not to block the mic. You have permission to set me straight, honey, as always. Um, um, I love my wife, and she really does make me a better person. Um, anyway. Uh, but there's been a journey that we've been on. God's been teaching us what have become three primary principles that have really been an emphasis. God's really been burning into our nature and really helping us seize a hold of. The, the first of those was the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Pastor Mark, the founder of this church, really went through this. It was a revolutionary thing at the time. God was bringing revelation about we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to see all the heaven stuff. You know, when Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what he's saying was, the kingdom, we want the kingdom here. All the things that are about the king and his kingdom. He's here, he's bringing his kingdom with him. That, that includes there's, there's, no, there's no illness and sickness and poverty and, and uh, grief. And um, in, in heaven, it's a joyful, happy place. And when the kingdom comes, he sets everything right. Everything comes into alignment with the king, his authority. You know, so we began to see as we, as we began to pray for God to 
to let his kingdom come and be manifest among us, we begin to see some unusual things like uh, a guy getting healed of Parkinson's after 25 years. Or, you know, uh, we had our, our associate pastor, Lonnie Honeycutt, who, who actually died, but as, uh, as David says, he got better. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's, it, it was an amazing testimony. Stage four cancer, uh, died, gone a couple hours, if I recall the story, at Mobile Infirmary, I mean, here in Mobile. And uh, people in the courtyard were just milling around saying, God, send him back. And, hey, I'm back. You know, and God healed him, healed his body, took the cancer out, healed the cancer, healed the radiation burns that were caused by the treating of the cancer. You know, so I was like, it's a miraculous thing. Now, nobody was standing around taking notes and writing, what did you do? We want to do that again. But God, in his goodness, his kingdom came in that hospital room and raised, raised Lonnie from the dead. You know, um, all we know is that he loves us, and as we press into him and pursue our relationship with him, the and all these things will be added unto you part, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, this is one of those other things added unto you. Um, we had a, a lady on our worship team, Amanda, that was uh, healed of a persistent, like 12 years of, of uh, a really bad immune disorder, and it was just wrecking her body. And she would run out of death, uh, run out of breath, and pass out, and all kinds of weird manifestations. Um, there was a word, I think, Pastor Marks did somebody suffering with the illness from 12 years, and she's like, "That's me." He didn't see her because she was standing behind him. But um, they prayed for her, and in the course of the service, God began to manifest healing in her body. And over a course of a couple of weeks, she was just like completely freed from that stuff. Um, again, I don't think we were taking notes. You know, what did we do? What did we say? Because our relationship with God is not a formula. This is not a dance step that we learn so we can reproduce it. It's always been about pressing into God and developing our relationship with him. God's a person. If we could only remember that God's a person and not a ceremony or not a speech to give or not a, a set series of things we have to do. Legalism says do it this way or God's going to be mad at you. Relationship says walk with me, talk with me, watch how I do it, to quote the message, um, the message Bible. You know, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the Message Bible, it was a translation by Eugene Peterson. He says, just walk with me and talk with me. Watch how I do it, you know. And the more we become disciples of Jesus, it's like we're watching. What is Jesus like? How does he react to situations? What does he do? Jesus himself said, I only do what I see my father doing. We all know Jesus had a relationship with the father. He went away and hid from people and prayed to the father. Anyway, that's kingdom. That's pillar number one. Pillar number two uh, that really seized our attention was the topic of sonship. When we realized, hey, if Jesus said, pray our Father, you know, we always, we always have, I, I grew up with just thinking God's the Father, and he's up there like, you know, the All-Father, you know, Thor, or, you know, Thor's dad. <laughs> you know, God's this big grand poobah of the whole world, and it took a while for it to dawn on us, wait, if he's our Father, that means I'm a son. You know, and so that when that started seizing our attention that God's our father and we're his sons, we've been made a part of his family and everything that a son gets from the relationship with the father, we can have that. You know, so we spent, we spent a while going through that. And, uh, and then God brought us to uh, our third pillar, which was grace. Grace kind of became the name of this church. Um, 
Pure Grace Church. And grace was the common theme that was coursing through the veins. The Holy Spirit was revealing it to uh, Brother Ben and Brother Buddy and all the guys that associated with them from, from Gospel Life Fellowship. And we found out, that's why they're all here, we found that we're walking down the same road and God's giving us the same re- revelation about the grace of God, how everything is caused by His grace. You know, it was, uh, you've, been sa- you've been saved by faith, for by grace you've been saved through faith. You know, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. <laughs> Martin Luther, I mean, we just had the celebration of the Wittenberg door. Has it been 501 years now, I think, or something like that? Uh, so pillar number three is grace. Well, um, we have, we've all heard a lot of preaching about grace lately, and Pastor Justin wanted to rewind a little bit and go back to the other two pillars and try to catch up a little bit on that so there would be some common understanding about when we talk about things like the kingdom or, the, or sonship, that there would be some, some help there. Um, my task, should I choose to accept it, uh, is to talk about sonship today. Um, and it, it's actually something that, that I, really, I, really, um, I really enjoy um, thinking about because I have three children, two sons and a daughter. Hi, kids. And I have a wife. It's her fault that we have those. Um, it's fault. Sometimes I make jokes that they don't work too well. All right, let me, but let me, let, me get to, let me get to some of these notes. All right, sonship. This, really what this is is our identity. We're not adrift in the world, cosmic protoplasm that's just kind of drifting until it expires and is no more. We're sons. We're sons of the living God. First um, John 3, 1 says, See how great the love, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. The Father, the Father has lavished on us. I've got it on these papers because it takes too long to find the verses, and I've only got 30 minutes now. Um, but we're called the children of God, and that's what we are. We, we really are. It's not just like the casual, um, you know, like when a football coach calls it, like, come on, son, pick that up. No, we really, we really are God's sons and daughters. We'll use that in the generic sense. God's children. That's, that's a truth. That's... That's our truth. So, so, um, so the questions are, who is he and who are we? Um, our relationship with God is the central question of our existence. You know, we, we need to know clearly where we stand with him and what our identity is with him. Um, I posted a couple of years back just meditating on about the way we see God helps us understand who we are. So if we see God as our creator, and he is, when you say God created everything, yes. if he's the creator, then we're his creation, and we can start there. That's fine. I'm God's creation. Uh, if we see him as um, our master, God is the master, then we might see ourselves as his servants. I want to be a servant in the house of God. That's okay. But there's a better way to see him. If, if we see him as uh, benevolent and kind, you know, we can see ourselves as we're, we're a friend with God. I'm good. God's my friend. But if we see him as our, as our father, you know, how many, how many of you would agree that it's better to be a son than a, father, than, than a, than a servant? I mean, I do want to serve the Lord, but I mean, I've got sons and daughters in my house, and, and they serve in some capacities on occasion in different roles in our house, but their identity is there are, there are sons and daughters. Okay, so our identity, if we see God as our father, and he is, we understand that that means that we are his dearly loved sons and daughters. After all, that's who Jesus was and is, the son of God. And that's how he taught us to relate to God. He said, pray our Father, not our Master, our, you know, our friend, uh, our Maker. 
With God, our best, most secure, most cherished identity is to be his son or daughter. And calling God our father is no, it's no fragile metaphor. It's an actual truth. It's a trustworthy reality packed with meaning and confidence. All right, Jesus was the son of God. Jesus learned early on that God was his father. Y'all remember when he went to the temple and he was reading in there and they left town and it's like, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was with you. And they, they turned around and went back to Jerusalem to pick him, to find him, and they found him in the temple. And he was, you know, impressing the scribes with his wisdom and his, you know, and his understanding of scripture. And he said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Even then, at that age, he said, my father's business. I think God was showing him under the direction of the Holy Spirit. I think God was showing him out of the scriptures. Hey, this is talking about you. So his, we don't see much before he comes out of, the, out of the Jordan after he's baptized. But I think the time before that, God was loading up his understanding. Just like Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was, he, was a scribe, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, the high priest, learning from the scriptures. So he, you know, input, he's digesting the scriptures, he's digesting the truth, and then the Holy Spirit shines light on it. Paul puts all these puzzle pieces together and becomes Paul the Apostle and writes half the New Testament. It's like, let me explain to you guys what this all means. You know, because he's the guy that understood it, because he dug through those scriptures. He's, he analyzed what the truth was out of scripture, and the Holy Spirit says, this is what it means. One thing that we overlooked a lot in the scripture, it says that Paul spent three years running around in the desert. What was he doing in the desert? I think the Holy Spirit was schooling the boy, you know. Um, he was helping him understand the truth, and then when he came back, he was preaching the kingdom. Uh, speaking of the kingdom, John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom is here in Matthew 3. Jesus was baptized, the Spirit came upon him in Matthew 3. Jesus, after the temptation, came back, began to preach the kingdom is at hand. That's in Matthew 4. When Jesus calls his disciples, he gave them authority in his name to heal the sick and so on in Matthew 10, told them to preach the kingdom. So there's, there's a common theme going on, preaching the kingdom. Um, anyway, uh, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Um, then we get to Matthew 3. Okay, this is where things change. Um, he came to the River Jordan to be baptized with, with John. And if you, look in, if you look in Matthew 3, verse 16, um, and maybe if you read the pod, you listen to the podcast, you can get all these quotes off. I didn't put any up there. And I don't want to spend a lot of time flipping. It, it is written in Matthew 3, 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw, he, Jesus, Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove and alighting on him. So here's Jesus, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now picture that. How, how awesome must that have felt? Here's, here's a guy that has spent 33 years. Did he begin at 33? He began at 33 years, right? So the first 30 years, 33 years of his life, I think he was learning from the scriptures about himself. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I guess he wasn't there yet. The Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. Like in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit descended upon someone. The Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. And the Father says, you're my well son. In Luke it says, you are my well son in whom I'm well pleased. In that account. What must that have felt like? Here's Jesus standing in the river. All, the, all of his understanding about who he is is coming to life. The Holy Spirit's there, and it's like God's hugging him. I mean, you want to talk about an attaboy. That's my boy right there. This is the biggest attaboy that has ever happened. When God in heaven 
God in heaven was so impressed with Jesus and so in love with Jesus, he announced to everybody within hearing, that's my boy right there. That's my son in whom I'm well pleased. That must have felt really good to Jesus. You know, the spirit in him helped him, confirmed in him, and that voice added to it, this is my son. Okay? So, so anyway, by the way, this illustrates the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Just like uh, Stephen in Acts 7 when he was stoned, Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit lifted up his eyes and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. Okay, so Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, so um, anyway, we've been made sons of God as well by the agency of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death in our place, and our believing in all that he did. He took, it, it took the Son of God to make us sons of God. Amen. By adoption. Galatians 4.45, we see... But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. What Jesus did was for the purpose of us being adopted. Pastor Mark says, if you want to summarize the story of the whole Bible, it's God gets his family back. Well, this is all God's brilliant plan. He saw this coming. Nothing caught him by surprise. That's why he had the solution already available. And he fulfilled his plan, tricked the devil. Boy, he pulled the wool over his eyes. The devil thought he'd won by killing God's son. <laughs> oh, you're so wrong. All right, we've been made children. All right, John, John 1.12 says, uh, John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Am I talking too fast? I'm just eager to get through. There's a lot of good stuff in here. So um, that same spirit that God gave Jesus in such a tangible way that gives him a sense of the Father's love beats at our hearts the same way. We're sons, real sons of God, entitled to the inheritance of our Father just like Jesus did. We escaped the slavery of the law, and we've been made heirs. We were orphans, we could say. We were adrift on our own devices trying to make our way in the world, and God suddenly scooped us up and said, I want you to be mine. And like, like I said last time, uh, yes, please. Sounds like a good deal. Romans eight fifteen shows it like this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit, which, which spirit? It's an uppercase S here. The, the Holy Spirit that we received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by who? The spirit. By him we cry, Abba, Father. You know what the word Abba means? It's a, it's a Hebrew-sounding word. It's an Aramaic word meaning like daddy. How many of you have ever called your, your, maternal, your paternal parent dad or daddy? You know? The spirit in us gives us enough of a confidence of who we are that we aren't ashamed to say daddy. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't matter how important the person is. If you're the son, you can call them daddy. Hey, Mike. Um, do you see that, uh, that JFK thing up in, the, in the list? Is it up there? Was it already there all this time? You're good, son. All right, I love this. I showed this last time. I'm just stuck in this vibe. Who's the guy behind the desk back there? Does anybody recognize him? That's President John F. Kennedy. Who's the kid peeking through his desk door? John John. So what's the kid's relationship to that guy in the chair? It's his son. The president, arguably, President JFK at the time, must have been 
arguably the most powerful man in the world, right? Leader of the free world, blah, blah, blah. This kid's playing under his desk. Who does he think he is? <laughs> He's that guy's son. You know, so is it pointed wrong? My mic is collapsing. All right. So, okay, we'll just hold it there. We won't, we won't advance yet. Um, so that's the thing. When God adopts us and makes us his children, as goofy as we are, it's not our fault that we're in God's family. He's the one that chose us. And the spirit in us is like, yeah, that's right. You're really his. And so we have the opportunity to say, Daddy, you know, God. By him, we can, we can approach... Uh, I'm trying to quote stuff, but I'm... By him, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. We, we can... It's not like if we go into the king's chambers and we're going to get our head lopped off or something. We can go in his oval office and crawl under the desk. Or better yet, we can go up to the, the God that sits on the throne that's our father, climb up on the throne, sit on his lap, and give him a kiss on his face. That sounds like fun. That's a God, that's, a God that's not going to wipe us out to have the temerity to claim sonship because he gave it to us. He wanted it so bad he sacrificed the son he had to get more sons. Talk about a seed in the ground that produces fruit. So, anyway, um, Jesus trusted his father. His identity was fixed and secure. Man, when he came out of the Jordan, there was nothing you could do to him to convince him otherwise. And, chapter 4, the spirit immediately turns him around and sends him out to the desert to be tempted. Okay? Um, his, identity would be, his identity would be challenged. He was led by the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, had just ascended upon him as a dove. So now he's loaded with the Holy Spirit, and he says, hey, I want to take you on a trip. Out to the desert to be tempted by the devil. The very first thing the devil said, this is in Matthew 4, 3, was, if you're the son of God. Now, how come the devil, whenever he talks to people, always says if? Did God really say? You know, here, bite this apple. You know, he's always challenging what God said. But if you're the son of God, command this stone become bread. In essence, he was questioning Jesus' identity. He was saying, um, prove that you're son of God. Prove, prove that you are the son of God. I know you're hungry. You know, make yourself some food. Jesus said, uh, of course, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, or every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God for you, King Jimmy guys. And by the way, the last... What was the last word that Jesus actually heard God say? What did he say in the Jordan? What did God speak? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, if you, if you live by the words that proceed out of God's mouth, the last thing he just heard was, you're my son. So how's the devil going to say, you're not God's son? He just told me. <laughs> you know? Um, um, anyway, so he... So he knew that he could trust God to provide food for him. He didn't have to work something up. God said, go out there, you know, we'll, we'll fast here for a season. He didn't have to, even though he was hungry, make some food. He could trust his father to provide. He could trust God for his provision. Okay? Um, he didn't have to prove anything. All right, second temptation. Jesus, was his identity was, was, was challenged again. Mark 4, 6. Satan says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And this was as if to say, you know, if God claims you as his son, then he'll catch you, you know. So it goes both ways. You say you're the son of God. Okay, fine. Does he say you're his son? 
You know, jump off here and see if it catches you. Again, Jesus said, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord, the Lord your God. Jesus knew he could trust God for his protection, you know, um, if, he, if he accidentally fell off the roof. Or like in, in the case of, you know, if the, the, the word that says, if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm you if you're, you know, if you're trampling on snakes and scorpions and nothing shall harm you, Luke 10, 19. Um, he didn't have to prove it from that side either. Uh, finally, Satan promised. Now, this was his protection. So he had provision on the first one. This one, he could trust God for his, to protect him. And then the third temptation, Satan promised to, give Jesus, promised to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if he would only worship him. But Jesus shut him down, saying, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus wasn't worried about establishing his position or getting his authority especially not Satan's way. He knew he could trust Father God for his promotion at the proper time. So we've got provision, protection, and now promotion. Um, and by the way, at the end of, his life, end of his time on earth, Matthew 28, 18, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You know, so waiting until the timing, the, the order of events that, that needed to be done, him dying on the cross, resurrecting triumphantly, he did ultimately receive all authority. He just didn't do it the devil's way. He waited for his father to establish the way for him to be promoted to where he's now king of kings and lord of lords. That's a good trade. That's something the devil couldn't do. Okay? So as a son, we have provision, protection, and promotion. That's what Jesus had. Now, that's what we have. Um, as children of God, the thing we need to really sink our teeth into is we can trust God to provide for us, you know. Um, and also it makes, us, it makes us generous when we know that God's providing our needs. Um, we can have what I call fearless generosity. We don't have to be afraid. If the Holy Spirit's leading us to help someone, to bless somebody, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be stingy. You know, God, God, the, Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is a generous spirit, you know. He freely, gave, he freely gives us all things, right? You know, like Paul in, in, in Philippians 4, he said, you know, hey, I received the offering that you sent by way of uh, Epaphroditus. Was that, his, was that the guy's name? All you scholars back, back there. Um, and he said, it's a, it's a, it's a sacrifice well-pleasing unto God. He said, but I know that God's going to supply all your needs, too, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. They weren't afraid of, of helping Paul um, because they trusted God to supply for them. Paul's reminding them of that. Um, so, so our, our basic focus about sonship is first seeing God as our Father, uh, completely unconditionally uh, loving us without end, never to cast us out. Uh, Romans eight thirty one says, "Nothing shall separate us from the love of God." Y'all remember that scripture? Not death or life or depth or heights or any of those things. Second um, Corinthians five talks about us being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Um, let me, let me skip. Let me see. We're accepted in the beloved. Man, if you want to have some fun, read Ephesians chapter 1. There's so much there. Um, Hebrews 4 is the scripture where we can boldly approach the throne of grace and find mercy to help it. Mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Um, we don't have to shrink back like the children of Israel at Sinai in Exodus 19. You know, God says, hey, guys, draw near to me. And they're like, yeah, we're afraid. Well, now we can say, we're not afraid anymore. 
you know, we, we can approach God. Um, this is how we know that we remain in him and he is in us. He has given us assurance from his spirit. This is 1 John 4.13. Uh, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and believe that the love of God, believe that the love that God has for us. Uh, God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God. God remains in him. Verse 17, in this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. I was talking with Ben about this last night. We can have one, I think King James says boldness. We have boldness in the day of judgment. What does that mean? Well, in the day of judgment, we ain't scared because the judge is our dad. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of cheating. But, but we are blameless. We've been made blameless. Jesus took all of our sin, all of our judgment upon himself. God's not mad at any of us anymore. His wrath has been satisfied. The law has been satisfied. The Old Testament is done. When he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, he did. He fulfilled the law. Contract completed. Throw that away. Now we have a new covenant with God. We don't live in the old covenant anymore. You know, he said prophetically, I'll put my laws within them and write it on their hearts. We're being led by the life of the Spirit. You know, the, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that set us free from the law of sin and death. We're living by the direction of the Holy Spirit, guiding us on the inside to righteousness. All we've got to do, like Matthew 22 says, is to love the, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul. and Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like that, love your neighbor as yourself. And in so doing, you fulfill all the law and the prophets. Am I still doing something wrong, Jay? It's, is it failing? I'm getting excited, sorry. All right. Let's talk about orphans for a minute. When we went to Honduras, you know, if, if, if we're children of God and he provides our provision, our protection, our promotion, what if you don't have a father? You know, we've got the Holy Spirit hugging us and saying, you really belong to God. He's really your father. And we're like, that is so cool. What if that's not the case? What if you don't have God the Father watching over you? Who is watching over you? You are. You're trying to make your way in the world. So the orphan heart is full of anxiety. The orphan heart is, where's my next meal going to come from? Who's going to protect me if bad guys come? Who's going to see my worth and promote me and tell me that I can do good things? Nobody. The orphan is the one that strives in life. The, the orphan is the one that's always anxious. The orphan is always the one that, bees, that wants to be noticed. And the orphan is the one that's always disappointed when they're passed over. But if we know that promotion comes from the Lord, we can relax because we're his sons. Um, when we went to Honduras, uh, our first trip in 2014 from this church, uh, one of the projects we had was we were going to do an orphan home, and they were all sleeping on mattresses, and they were, like, covered in plastic. And um, we took uh, a bunch of mattresses, I mean, took a bunch of, uh, of, of sheets to put on their beds, you know, to give them a comfortable place to stay. But as we were putting the sheets on these mattresses in there, every time we'd pull a mattress up to put the corner on, we'd see stuff tucked under the mattress, you know, they, they were collecting things that were precious for them and hiding them under there. You know, um, I've heard stories of children that have been adopted that were in an orphanage and maybe food was slight and they got in the habit of, of grabbing an extra piece of bed and bread and shoving it in their pockets and saving it. 
because later, if they're hungry, they weren't sure they'd have bread available, so they'd save some. And it might turn moldy, and they might have to get, get rid of it and go back and get some more. But the point is, when you're a son, you're not worried about where your next meal is going to come from. When you're an orphan, you're worried about everything. Life is full of fear. But we're not slaves again to fear. We've received a spirit of sonship. Totally different thing. Um, anxiety and peace. Um, let's look at this for a minute. I love, I love sometimes just reading straight through a passage of Scripture because I, I never really saw it until I got to digging into um, Matthew 6 because I was looking at the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who's in heaven, you know. But the whole chapter is, is so pertinent because he's talking about the Father. And every time he's talking about the Father, he's addressing us as sons about this. So, like, if you want to turn, we're actually going to walk through this. Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, um, you know, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is, in do- is doing. That just means don't let everybody know, hey, by the way, I gave him a thousand bucks. And by the way, there's some very generous people in this church that have done stuff like that, you know, for missions and other things. But I don't think anybody stood up on the stage and said, I just want to present this check to the pastor for $1,000 for missions. <laughs> I've seen that in some churches, and I tell you the truth, they had their reward. But it says here, verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret, then your father, who sees in secret, uh, will reward you. Talking about that fearless generosity. The same thing with prayer. Um, verse, verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. They tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father. These are sons they're talking to. Who is unseen? Then your father, who sees what has done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, so they'll think, for they think they might be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask it. I mean, this is, this is a good deal. He's taking care of us. Um, both of these examples, giving and praying, they're talking about someone that's an orphan that wants to be noticed. Their identity isn't secure enough. Their, the peace of their heart isn't established enough for them to say, I want someone to know that I'm spiritual. I want someone to know that I, I can say some, I know a, stuff about the Bible. Um, I won't say that in, in church. Okay, but then verse 9, since we're talking about prayer, verse 9, this is how you should pray, our Father. The first two words in this prayer, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Jesus is talking about the kingdom all the time. Give us today our daily bread. Provision. There's some bread right there. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, there's protection. Our Father's protecting us. You know, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The NIV left that out because they said some people left it out in one of their versions. But King James got it right. <laughs> Yay, King Jimmy. Um, Let's talk about fasting. Let's get down to verse 16. When you fast, don't look somber somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. 
I tell you the truth, somebody years ago told me they were starting a 40-day fast, and they wanted to call me and let me know that they were about to begin a 40-day fast, ostensibly because the devil might attack me because they were fasting. Um, I'm sorry, you just want me to know that you're fasting. Enjoy your weight loss. <laughs> um, when you fast, put, you know, put oil on your head, wash your face, so it'll be, not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father, who is unseen, and your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Um, don't store up treasures in heaven. Verse 19 talks about um, being anxious about your money and stuff. But let's, let's jump down to verse 25, because I don't want to run out of time. Verse 25, um, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. That's what orphans do. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, and about your body, what you shall wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by, by being anxious, can add one hour to your life? One cubit. What's a cubit? Is that a... An inch, you know. So don't worry about how tall you are or how. Okay. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow; they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was arrayed was was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will He not? Will He not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I guess the, the, the takeaway that I want for all of us to, to, to have is the certainty, the security, the identity. We're a son. I ain't scared. My dad's bigger than your dad. You know, when you have a father um, that you can trust, a father that you can depend on, everything is better. You're not alone. You have a defender. You have a provider. You have a promoter. That's my boy. Did you see him? You know, that thing. Um, I remember when we went to Honduras uh, in 2008. Uh, it had been a dream of ours for about 14 years, actually. We'd known these people since the, the late 80s, and we finally went uh, as a family and moved down there in, in uh, August of 2008. And uh, as we were working down there, um, it was hard. You know, living on the mission field is no picnic. Um, there were some challenges with our provision. God miraculously provided for us. There was a time where we had morning devotions and talked about God providing our needs, and within 10 minutes, somebody knocked on the door and brought in uh, a refrigerator and a stove and a microwave. And I mean, just like, my kids were like, that is so cool. We just prayed for God to supply it. It's like, boom, there it is, wow. They're like, hey, it works. Um, uh, things, things got a little uh, unraveled uh, in the leadership of that church, and uh, and it was hard, you know. People talk about racism. It's weird being gringos in Honduras. You know, everybody speaks a language that you don't know yet, and they talk about you. You know they're talking about you, but you don't know what they're saying. But they, like, point at the gringo, and they say things, ha, 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 and you're like, crap, so that's what it feels like. <laughs> you know? So it was hard. It was, it was a difficult season, and it challenged us um, 
and when we left, um, we had return tickets to come home. And because the money was drying up and our house was about to be foreclosed on, uh, we, we pulled the parachute and came back. And God miraculously met us and, and supplied us. I got my old job back. And, um, but the thing that really struck me was the toll it took on our children down there. I mean, they did mean things like steal Gabriel's soccer ball that he had gotten. He was so glad to have. And they, like, poked holes in it and threw it in our yard, deflated and stuff. A lot of meanness. The, the devil hates missionaries, um, especially good-hearted missionaries. My, my sons, my daughter, they were all so kind to everyone they met down there. But there were some brats that didn't like them there. So it was, it was a rough life. But when we got back, um, we had renters in our house finally, but we uh, still had to serve out their contract for them to leave. So when we moved home, we actually moved in with um, our, our father-in-law and, and mother-in-law, Melissa's parents. And um, I remember the, uh, the, the day after we got back, it was December, it was cool, and uh, we, went, we walked down the street to the park, an old park down there, and uh, I remember vividly, and I actually even have a photo in a second, of uh, being, being in that crazy situation and then coming back to the security. I mean, there was a fire, there was a Christmas tree, there was people that loved you. And that sense of being surrounded, um, and Melissa's Melissa's father, who's like a, a father of fathers. I mean, he's a, a he was an amazing man. He he passed about a year and a half ago. Um, we went to the park and we were taking some pictures, and uh, there was one of my daughter, who was so at peace, and she snuggled up. Let me let me see that one. Yeah, she she snuggled up in her granddad under his chin. You, you see the look on that face? Uh, I would say that's about the most content face I've ever seen because she was snuggling with a father. Okay, now, now put your face in, in place of hers and put God's play, face in place of his. That's how God wants you to feel. When you're with God, he wants that level of comfort, that level of security, that level of trust to be yours. You know, when we talk about grace, you'll understand a little bit more, but God's not looking for us to jump through hoops, to pass tests, to prove our worth. Jesus paid it all. Um, you know, we've been bought with a price. We talked about this the other night. We've, we've been bought with a price, but it's not like we were a can, of, a can of beans on the shelf. I'll take that one. It's not that we've been purchased and made part of God's collection. It's that the debt that we that we owed to sin has been paid. And more than being set free, what was purchased was our freedom. But more than being free and out from underneath the obligation of the debt anymore, he scooped us up and took us all the way into his family. You know, and so this is where we are as a church. This is the journey we've been on. You know, if somebody asks you, what are you? My, my answer is I'm a son. So... Um, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you another story. The, 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 get, getting back to the Holy Spirit convincing us. When I was seven years old, uh, I became aware of uh, sin in my life, mostly because I kept getting spankings. <laughs> I, became, I became aware of my failures. And uh, my dad was a pastor at the time and uh, a wonderful, godly man. And uh, I remember I was troubled, and I got up out of my bed one night and came into the den where he was sitting at his desk studying. And I said, Dad, I'm bad. 
Why am I bad? I keep getting spankings. He said, well, son, that's just the nature of sin in your life. You know, Jesus, Jesus died to fix that problem. You know, you, you need to give, you need to trust in him and, and become a Christian, become a child of God. This is a Saturday night. He was prepping for Sunday. Um, actually, he was an associate pastor at that church. Um, he said, but, you know, tomorrow, you know how they do that altar call at the end where they sing just as I am about 20 times? Um, he said, that's the moment where you can just come down to the altar and, and uh, we'll pray with you and you can give your heart to Jesus. Then I'm like, sounds good to me. And I went back to bed. Sunday morning came and my dad was in the choir with everybody else wearing his robe. And we were on the second row so we could put our hands there and behave ourselves. And they started singing the Just As I Am. And we must have gone through three or four or five of those. And I just sat there. I was terrified as a seven-year-old to go anywhere in front of this whole church. But I wanted to get to that altar. I wanted to fix this problem. So I just stood there paralyzed, crying, like, God, what am I supposed to do? Uh." My twin brother was standing next to me, who had not had that conversation, but he started crying. (laughs) So, but my dad saw us crying, and he came down from the choir loft in his robe and floated down like an angel. (laughs) (laughs) And he grabbed us both under each arm, and he walked us to the altar. My father walked us to meet Jesus. Um, he said, you know the stuff we talked about last night? i got to talk to your brother for a minute, so I'll, I'll get back to you. <laughs> you know, so he's sitting, there, he's sitting there at the altar talking to my brother about Jesus and about life with him, and I'm sitting there like... <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm kneeling. I wasn't really dancing because I was kneeling. But I'm like, what should I do? I, I, I need to do something. And I'm like, I just need to pray because he said we needed to pray but I didn't know the words. I didn't know the sinner's prayer. So my seven-year-old intellect came up with, devil, you're out, and Jesus, you're in. <laughs> and devil, you're out, and Jesus, you're in. I said that about three times. Devil, you're out, and Jesus, you're in. And then I thought, yeah, that should do it. <laughs> but the funny thing was, it was heart to heart, spirit to spirit, deep calling under deep. I connected with God out of my seven-year-old heart. And the Spirit of God blanketed me in his presence. I knew I was a son. So um, our, our walk with God is not a technique. Our walk with God is love. Our walk with God is reality. And I became a son that day. Calvary Baptist Church, Glasgow, Kentucky. With my dad with a choir robe. I became a son of God. And I remember my dad baptized me a couple weeks later when they had baptisms, and he was the one that dunked me. But I remember before, before, before I went underwater, you know, he said, what's your confession of faith? And he says, and so now I baptize you, my brother. My, my dad was seeing this. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I was like, brother, what? Wait. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I held my nose and got up out of the water and stuff, but the, the ding that went off of my mind is like, uh, me and him are both sons, and that makes us brothers. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's, that's the walk that we're on in this church. God's building his kingdom. He's building it out of sons who are making other sons because of his grace, by, by the agency of his grace, 
because he loves us. And that's the good news of the gospel that we have. All right. Thanks. Let's pray. You can stand if you want. I think that's the official posture we're supposed to assume, right? I don't know this pastor stuff yet. But let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. I thank you that the first word out of our mouth when we talk to you can be Father. Father God, we love you so much. It, it blows our mind. We can't comprehend your love for us. But thank goodness our understanding it is not a prerequisite for us to receive it. So Lord, we thank you that you've given us this life. You've given us by your grace freedom and you've given us righteousness. Your word says that we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus took everything, nailed it to the cross, utterly crushed death, hell, the grave, sin. We thank you, God, that your, your wrath has been satisfied and now all that you see when you look at us is love. Just like you told Jesus in the, in the Jordan, you're looking at us and you're saying, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I delight in you. Lord, as a father, I think I understand a little bit. I look at my kids. It doesn't matter what they've done or the silly things that, that they might have you know, been guilty of. But Lord, they'll never not be my kids. And so, Lord, we just today, we, we thank you. And, uh, God, I just pray if there's anybody that's, that's anybody here that's not been seized with that reality by the presence of the Holy Spirit in their heart, that they're yours, I pray, God, that you would... Um, Bring that message to resonate in them. Um, Lord, I know many have grown up without a father. Many have grown up with bad fathers. Many have grown up with impatient fathers. But God, you're the perfect father. You're the model. You're what I as a father ascribe to be like. Lord, I want to be like you. Jesus wanted to be like you. He said he only did what he saw you doing. So, Father, I pray that you would just seal in our hearts that we're yours. Just like Paul said, nothing, nothing can take us away from the love of God. Or whoever wrote Roman, yeah, Paul. <laughs> nothing can take us away. Jesus said that nothing can take us out of his hand. So we just bless you. We give you thanks for this gift, your mercy to receive us and take us and adopt us and make us yours. So we just say we love you and we say thank you. In the name of Jesus and because of him, amen. Now, if there's anybody uh, that wants to talk, needs to talk, wants ministry, um, wants to talk about being a son, um, find one of the elders, find me, find my wife. Um, We'll be glad to help you. But the rest of you guys, we love you. We'll see you next week.